Hey, I know you're probably driving or running or cleaning the house or doing something else when you're listening to this, but look, if you're a B2B marketer and you need to start generating revenue from your marketing, then you have to check out our 12-week program, the B2B Incubator. It's built for small, in-house B2B marketing teams with limited time and budget. We give you the strategy, the templates, and the tools to start driving revenue, not just leads. So if you're ready to act on all the advice Kevin and I give you, next time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning, make sure you head to the B2B Incubator and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort with our next one launching at the end of May, 2024. Remember, the B2B Incubator, apply now so you don't miss out. We've had B2B marketing managers, CMOs, marketers in demand generals, content leads, and more all go through this program and they're currently executing the demand strategies that they've created. Some are now even contributing as much as 80% of the pipeline to their business after working through it. Make sure you check out the b2bincubator.com and apply now to start driving more demand and more revenue for your brand. Okay, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the B2B Playbook Podcast. Each week, we discuss strategies and tactics to help B2B businesses grow online. We're your hosts, Kevin and George, a couple of digital marketing professionals. We've waded through the noise and made the mistakes so you don't have to. The B2B world has changed and you need to put your customers at the heart of your marketing. We'll cover how you can use our framework, the five Bs, to create a brand that customers are ready to buy from, love and advocate for. We'll get insights from successful people in the industry and cover the latest trends to keep you on the cutting edge of the B2B world. If you're interested in B2B marketing strategies and tactics that work, then this podcast is for you. Subscribe to get the latest from the B2B playbook first. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer. Welcome back to the B2B playbook. Listeners, today we are moving on to part two, a continuation of our discussion from last week on reporting. Last week, we gave you some principles and a framework of how to understand your reporting and how to start putting your reporting together. And this week, we are continuing with that and we're going to look at understanding how to take your reporting to the next level. Kev, it's in season four of the B2B Playbook podcast. Tell us more what we're discussing in season four. Season four, George and listeners, it's all about be better. Uh, Again, be better isn't about being better overnight. Now that we've covered the first three Bs of the five Bs framework, be ready, be helpful, and be seen. We are on to the fourth B, which is be better. And that's all about ensuring that at this point in time, now that you've got some helpful content out there and you're accelerating your growth, how do we optimize your B2B marketing workflow to cement yourself as the expert you set out to be? And what steps do you need to take next to keep improving your understanding of your dream customers, your helpful content, and your amplification of that helpful content? That's it, Kevin. In this episode, we're going to deep dive into reporting and look at how you can improve this as we scale. But before we do that, Kevin, you know it was my 30th birthday recently. It was your 30th birthday recently, and it's a big one. And you have been a very busy boy. (laughs) I have been very, very busy and I only did something small for my birthday. I just had some school friends over and their partners and there's a very good reason for that, Kevin. What's that, George? Well, I've been to quite a few 30ths and engagements and weddings lately and I noticed 
you know, just observing, observing the room, looking at the person who's meant to be the focal point of attention, either the birthday boy, girl, the groom, the bride. You know, everyone always assumes that they're always going to have people to talk to you because you go up to them, you say a quick hello, and then the conversation's over and you go and do that a thousand times over through the night and the night's over. My greatest fear, Kevin, is what if it's your birthday or your wedding or whatever it might be, and everyone in that room assumes that you're talking to somebody else, and then you just left talking to nobody, even for a couple of minutes. It's not a great look when it's your event. George, as someone who recently went through (laughs) an engagement party himself, I can assure you that that does not happen. Um, And you being much more popular and social than I am will probably never have that problem on your plate. Well, can you explain to me why then, Kevin, at my 30th birthday, at one point I found myself sitting sandwiched between, you know, my best friends, had other really great friends opposite me, and I was just looking left to right, looking at the two conversations going on on either side of me, and I wasn't a part of either of them. And I I wasn't the center of attention, Kevin. My, My worst fear came true. Well, George, maybe you should have held a slightly bigger party and invited me. (laughs) (laughs) Touche, touche, Kevin. (laughs) Shots fired. Let's move on. Let's move on to the episode today, Kevin. Reporting, moving on. A very very quick exit, but um, well warranted. Uh, Let's talk about reporting. (laughs) All right, Kev, reporting. Now, when we talk about reporting, Kevin, we've got to talk about funnel stages and metrics. It's a really important concept in reporting and really part of digital marketing that generally comes in at one point or another. And Kevin, when we come to metrics, people love to talk about funnels. Now, you and I, I think we have grown to view funnels very differently to other people. Yeah, I think it's not as straightforward as setting up a funnel for us and letting it run and do its thing and try to optimize steps as as we know and I'm sure all our listeners are experiencing at different stages of their marketing journey and careers. Funnels is an easy concept, an easy way to describe how users move through the interaction of their interaction with your brand and how they get into your brand and buy from you. But realistically, it's not really a funnel. It's a squiggly map where users go all over the place. They jump between stages in a funnel and they really don't follow that nice, even flow down the different stages of the funnel as we've been discussing and we've been uh, sort of led to understand that that's how marketing works. That's how funnels work. But before we get into you know our idea of what funnels are and how it really works, maybe let's just start with that definition of what funnels are and funnels effectively is this idea that a big group of people will start and enter at the top end of a funnel, the wider bit at the upper end of the funnel. And when they enter that point, they're really starting to become aware of your brand, become aware of your products. As they move down the funnel, so the funnel gets narrower, they start to move to that middle part of the funnel, they move into what's called the consideration phase. So they're considering a brand along with other alternatives, other solutions, in that phase of moving towards buying something from you. And then they move into the lower or bottom funnel that I'm sure everyone here is already very familiar with and we've talked about. They're moving into that buying phase when they get to that point. The pointy end of the funnel, over time, they've come to know your brand, they've come to know the options available and they're ready to buy. And at each step down in the funnel, the reason why it is a funnel is because the number of people within that part of the funnel or the stage of the funnel is reduced. So the number of people that came in at the awareness stage 
maybe only a portion of those move into the consideration phase and then only a portion of that move into the buying phase. With each step down in the funnel, because the number of people are decreasing and, and sort of ruling out your product or service and moving away from your funnel, it forms that shape of a funnel and that's why it's called a funnel. And this is a traditional view, as I said, um, of the buying journey for most users and most businesses view their clients moving through, the potential clients moving through something of this journey. But as I mentioned, I think George and I think of this a little different and it's obviously something that's been uh, a bit outdated now and a lot of people are talking not in terms of funnels anymore. Although generally people still go through this journey, as I mentioned, they jump through the different stages. They might jump back to an earlier stage and then come down and maybe skip a stage. And really it's the five stages of awareness that they're jumping in between. And that's something we've talked about before and really what we think you should start focusing in on instead. It's overly simplistic, isn't it, Kevin, to just think of those three stages and think that people neatly flow from the top part of the funnel all the way to the bottom to becoming a customer through awareness, consideration, purchase. It's outdated and I don't love it, Kevin. I used to love it. Um, you know, I used to read a lot of Russell Brunson and he has this whole community of funnel hackers and we want to drive people through that funnel faster and make the funnel bigger and, you know, make it more profitable. And unfortunately, I think it just, yeah, I think it tries to simplify things a little bit too much, Kevin. The reality is the way that people buy, particularly in B2B, is they move through the five stages of awareness. And that's going from being totally unaware that they even have a problem that your product or service has to being led to the logical conclusion that, hey, you guys are the exact right solution for them. People do not think in a rational, linear way. Uh, you don't logically go from one state to the next. Very often, Kev, as you said, that buying journey is more like a, a squiggle, a scribble, where we go all over the place. What I learned last week through your piece of content or through your ad, that might have left my brain because I've had more important recent information come into my brain and my brain's not so good, Kevin. So that's why we need to be a lot more realistic, I think, in our more modern approach to the funnel and go, hey, you know what? We've got the five stages of awareness. At some point, people need more information that's related to your solution. And at other points, they need more high level information that's directly related to making them aware that they even have a problem or a pain point that you can solve. And let's just try and guide them through that. And we can't predict with laser-like accuracy exactly where they are in that funnel. And that's why, Kevin, when we do our reporting, we should probably start to take that into consideration. That's exactly it, George. Listeners, what we suggest you do when you start to look into building your reporting or upgrading your reporting, look at reporting on pieces of content and touch points that go to each stage of awareness instead. So start grouping things based on the stage of awareness that you're building that piece of content or touch point towards and the metrics relevant to that particular touch point or stage of awareness. So for example, at the most aware stage, you should be looking at things like how many sales qualified opportunities and ROI is being achieved. But at the problem aware stage, it's probably more about how much engagement and direct messages are you getting from the touch points that you're creating with your content. and that is an indicator of how insightful your content is being and how helpful it is and how much help people are starting to get and realize from your content and to understand their problem. 
And for people who think about the five stages of awareness and they break it down into demand creation and demand capture, that completely aligns there, Kevin, because at that most aware stage, you know, you're pretty much capturing demand at this point. You've got people who are ready to buy, they're in market. And so then we're using, you know, high intent, lower final channels like Google ads, review platforms, whatever it might be to try and capture them as efficiently as possible. So yes, we do want to try and calculate an ROI off the back of that. We do want to see how many sales qualified opportunities we're getting. We want to see uh, how much revenue you're generating from each of those. And it makes sense to optimize that as much as possible. But if we're trying to apply that measurement to the earlier stages of awareness, well, we start to get ourselves in trouble and we don't see any value in those activities. But the reality is it's the value in the work that we're doing earlier in those five stages of awareness is what's actually going to help us capture people more profitably later on. Yeah, you touched on a very important point there, George. You know, you don't want to apply the same thinking, same measures of success that a later stage of awareness requires, such as the most worst stage when you're looking at ROI and conversion rates and conversions and things like that, to an earlier stage where you're really discounting the value of that earlier stage. And what tends to happen in that case when you do that, and it's fairly common, is you hone in on this one group of people who are ready to buy and your pool of potential customers gets narrower and narrower and that doesn't help you with growth. It helps you with efficiency, but doesn't help you with growth. And so it's important for each stage of awareness to align your metrics and your reporting to what's important at that particular stage. Practically though, when you do start representing a lot of this information in reporting, you can still use a funnel flow in terms of uh, describing users at different stages and showing them going through a funnel, but be sure to highlight that there's different metrics relevant to each stage of that funnel, each stage of that awareness. And so then you're talking about the right metrics at the different stages. Sure, you can put it in a funnel form to make it easier to understand for everyone who's coming across that information. But the important thing is to align the right metrics to the right stage of awareness. All right, Kev, let's talk about sales. It's a very hot topic. We want marketing and sales to work together closer and reporting is one way of doing that, isn't it, Kev? Yeah, it's one of the biggest projects that you can take on to really level up your reporting and the impact it has within your organization. This is obviously one that's gonna be very dependent on your company's structure and how you like to work effectively with your sales team, if you have one, depending on how big it is. Uh, hopefully there is one there and this is something that we're gonna discuss that you can take some learnings from. But as a general framework, you should ensure that you're undertaking some of the following if you haven't already to use reporting as a way to improve your coordination with the sales team. All right, folks, quick breather here. In my time in B2B marketing, generally I've come to realize that there are just certain tools that can be an absolute game changer. And that's why I'm really excited to talk about Leadfeeder. Uh, it's a tool that helps you cut through the data and turn those website visitors into solid leads and opportunities for your business. Leadfeeder shows you which companies are checking out your site, tracking their behavior, and it integrates all of this with your CRM. And the result is it's basically like a secret weapon for targeted lead engagement, and it really makes it easier for your team to convert website traffic into sales. Head to leadfeeder.com, give it a free demo, and you'll also get a free extended premium trial when you let the rep know that you found out about Leadfeeder through the B2B Playbook podcast. That's leadfeeder.com. Okay, check it out. Back to the show. 
Actually, Kev, I think before we dig into that a little more, I think it's worth actually taking a quick step back and talking about the fact that this is only going to work really well if there is some education on both sides of sales and marketing as to what the other function does. Especially for you marketers, communicating to sales how you guys can help make their jobs easier can actually try and get you out of doing all that sales enablement work that I know so many of you are stuck doing and getting you to do the marketing work in that earlier stages of awareness that I know you love to do and you really want to do. So having that conversation with them, um, trying to educate each other on, on what you can do to help each other, I think is a great precursor to sitting down and then establishing, okay, with that shared understanding, how can we share some metrics to align on here? Yes, that's a great prerequisite step to take uh, before you start getting into this framework that we're talking about now, which starts with meeting actually with the same sales leads to establish what they want to see and agree to some shared metrics and reporting cadence that directly ties back to business objectives. The company's why as well, as well as your North Star metrics that the rest of the company is going towards. It's kind of important at this stage to have that back and forth and maybe a few meetings, not just one, to show some examples of what the proposed data would look like. Sometimes when the sales team come to you with metrics that they wanna see and examples of what they wanna see and a reporting cadence even that they wanna see and how they see that tying back to their objectives and the business objectives, there may be an education process that needs to happen or discussion process that needs to happen to make sure that both teams are aligned on that. Sometimes even at the strategy level, there is some misunderstandings, there is some uh, alignment that needs to happen. So it's important to not look at this process or this step in the process as just one standalone meeting where you need to come out with all your metrics and all your reporting cadences set in stone. There is definitely back and forth and well beyond these initial meetings um, as the business grows. But the idea is that let's take some ideas, let's meld them into an MVP version of the reporting that sales and marketing will share. Have a look at building that and seeing what that proposed data would look like. And then if that works, you can start to utilize it. If not, it's okay to go back and start making tweaks until it's a comfortable stage where both teams feel like they can use it. For example, the sales team might be quite interested in lead numbers, but obviously the conversations we've had uh, here will show you that that focus, that laser focus on lead numbers is not really going to help you long term. You can start to do a bit of digging and show that lead numbers don't actually translate into revenue impact or help with conversion rate on those leads once they have been handed over to the sales team. So then you can go back to the sales team and show those stats, show those metrics and show that if we're just focused on leads, um, if we're just focused on those numbers, they're not really gonna give you the full picture of the context that you exist in and the things that marketing can do to help the sales team make their life easier. And at that point, you can come back and add some more metrics in that are maybe a little bit more relevant uh, and even remove some of those that aren't relevant to show them what else that reporting can do for them. That's it, Kev. And listeners, if you put yourself in the salesperson's shoes, you know, think about what would they really love? What, what What's a great metric for you guys both to align on? Well, most sales staff, they're incentivized on commission uh, based on the number of deals uh, that they win. So of course, it's in their interest to try and generate as many highly qualified opportunities that they can just smash out of the park, earn that sweet commission and go on holidays with. 
So that's why one metric, which was uh, initially proposed by Refined Labs, and I know they've adopted it and we've started looking at it too, is the hero metric. And it's called the high intent revenue opportunity. And that's basically just looking at a stage within your pipeline at which deals are won on average at greater than 25%. So one in four deals at this stage become uh, an actual deal. They turn into revenue. And so what we want to optimize for is trying to increase the number of deals that go into that stage. So if we increase the number of deals that uh, win it greater than 25%, then that is an awesome metric for us and sales to align on. And if that's what we say to sales, hey, you know, that's what we want out, want to be our goal, I'd be pretty hard pressed to find a salesperson that says, I don't want you to do that as a marketer. But George and listeners, without this back and forth with the sales team, without sort of showing them what the numbers actually look like and what they can look like and can do for you, you know, you're not going to hit that agreement on hero metrics and things like that. So make sure you approach this first step, knowing that it's going to be a back and forth, setting the expectation that it's going to be a back and forth and work in progress. And maybe in a few meetings, you can start to nail down and hone in on what your key metrics are going to be, shared metrics, things like the hero metric. Beyond metrics though, this reporting should also have a system of feedback built into it so that qualitative insights are being shared between the teams. So from the marketing side, that means receiving direct customer feedback from sales interactions that they have on a daily basis and being able to utilize some of that feedback in your day-to-day. Going the other way, it's also about having an avenue to give marketing feedback and results on marketing activities and comments on social media, for example, back to the sales team so they can take that into conversations with potential leads as well. So make sure in your initial discussions and meetings about reporting metrics and cadence to also include that process in the discussion. And Kev, building a report that's actually shared with the sales team is super important. You know, it gives you a place where you can both look at uh, shared data that you're both accountable for. And within it, you want to be very clear on who's responsible for growing which metrics and where the teams have to work together to uh, progress those metrics in the way that you want. On top of that, you know, you want to make sure that you have a really regular cadence. Kev, you just kind of touched on that already. Have a really regular cadence to review and analyze these results and uh, that reporting that you have with the sales team. And then after that, agree what actions need to actually be taken off the back of this to keep things progressing the way that you want them to. So that's the process, guys. You start with a few meetings with the sales team, then you build a report that is shared between the sales team and the marketing team, and then set a regular cadence around reviewing and analyzing the results. But make sure to take that final step as well to continue to improve the reporting and to refine and have a process built in place to review and refine the reporting to make sure that it has what's important in there and what needs to be removed is removed. This process will really help ensure that the marketing and sales teams are always aligned and always working together, not against each other, which is a very common problem as businesses scale. All right, Kev, let's talk about attribution. God, it's another concept that comes up a lot in reporting and it is the bane of every marketer's existence. 
Okay, Kev, attribution. Well, in marketing, the definition of attribution is really figuring out the value of each touch point a buyer encounters on their path to purchase. The objective is to figure out which touch points and therefore channels and messages have the greatest impact on that buying decision. Another great analogy I've heard, Kevin, is soccer or football. You know, the striker might score the goal. But uh, who else had a hand in that? You know, there was the defender there who might have won the ball, turned it over, passed it up to the midfield, sent it up to the winger, and then the goal was scored. It was really a team effort. And who was the most responsible for that goal? The truth is always a little bit unclear. Kev, I'm actually not a huge football fan. Did I do okay there with describing different positions? Not too bad at all, George. Not too bad at all. And I think that is a very attractive idea, much like your description of the football game. It's a very attractive idea that you can put a value on each touch point within a marketing journey. But in practice, just trying to figure out where to invest based on the value of each touch point to get essentially more ROI on your investment is not as straightforward as George's story about soccer players scoring a goal there. And also not as easy as what a lot of people came into this idea of attribution thought it might be. In fact, attribution is so unclear as we've spoken about in the previous episode and this episode. Attribution in marketing, particularly in B2B marketing, is hard if not impossible. And so the resulting attribution and insights are often flawed. The bottom line is we'll probably never know which touch points or combination of touch points really resulted in a sale um, to that sort of clarity and accuracy each time a particular sale happens. And it's very unlikely that we'll then be able to use the same insights to predict future sales. That mixture of touch points and the combination of touch points is likely to change from person to person, case to case. And as you can imagine over time as well, Things change over time, buying habits change over time, and the touch points that a particular person sees changes over time as well. So you might be thinking at this point, okay, so why bother with measurement and attribution at all? Isn't it just a complete waste of time? If it's not accurate, it's never gonna get there. Well, not exactly, because like most things, you can apply the 80-20 principle here. If you don't approach it as an exact science, which it obviously isn't, then you can still take learnings from attribution. Just take things with a grain of salt. And like most parts of reporting, there is some value to be derived from this process of looking into attribution, but it shouldn't be the be all and end all. So Kev, what is some of the value that you can get from looking into attribution and just how far should you take it? Well, George, this is obviously a pretty big topic and probably one that we'll come back to later and do a much bigger deep dive on. But for now, suffice to say that you can have a brief look into multi-channel attribution at this point and try and figure out what combinations of channels at different stages of awareness seem to work well and roughly test and try and validate some of these main trends that hopefully emerges when you start doing this analysis. And that's a great way to start on the concept without having to go too far into it. Just focus on the combination of channels that seems to work well at particular stages of awareness. If you start questioning uh, too much around the data and insights validity, just ask yourself, will the potential incremental improvements in ROI from you investing all this extra time and effort and potentially money into systems that needs to go into supporting better attribution analysis, will that pay off? Will that be worth the extra effort that you put in or the resources that you put in? And will that investment in fact return 
better quality data, better quality attribution and insights that you can then action to improve your overall ROI. If the answer is no, or you're unclear about it, or it's pretty break even, then you probably should be moving on to something else first to optimize that instead. Often if these questions start to come up, that's a sign in itself that it's probably not worth going too much further into at this time. And Kev, I think really how far into this you should go depends on the maturity of the business that you're working in. If you're a very mature business, then, you know, spending that extra time to try and get that incremental one to 2% uplift in performance in whatever it is that you're doing and the channels that you're operating, that makes sense because that could have a really tangible impact on that business. You're quite a mature business. Uh, you know, it might make sense dedicating your resources to do that because the payout, the upside can be so large from just a one to 2% change. But for most of you, you need to be looking for much bigger swings than that. So use that 80-20 rule and try and dedicate that time into doing bigger things that are going to make bigger changes. And Kev, that's why I really love self-reported attribution because I think that that kind of shines a light in that whole dark social space that people talk about. The idea that there's so many different interactions that are happening online where buyers are making decisions that we just can't track. And if you can't track it, then you can't attribute it to anything. And self-reported attribution is a great way of just trying to, trying to get a gauge on whether your content programs are working and are helping uh, in that dark social space. So what is self-reported attribution? It's a really a fancy way of saying uh, on any contact form or high intent contact form, like a demo request on your site, make sure you have a mandatory open text field that asks, how did you first hear about us? Kev, on all of our things for the B2B incubator, the B2B playbook, inevitably people answer um, LinkedIn or for the B2B incubator, often they reference the B2B playbook. Now, within our CRM, within HubSpot, every single one of those is attributed to either direct or organic. So if we went doing self-reported attribution, we'd be like, oh man, SEO is actually killing it for us, not the podcast. Let's dedicate all our resources to SEO. But no, self-reported attribution tells us that it's actually our content programs that are making the impact. So it gives you a great gut feel as to what is working. And that's what a lot of our listeners need to try and focus on. I know that some businesses actually operate, and obviously this, this doesn't always work as you scale, but many companies operate by actually having a Slack channel. A lot of you guys already use Slack or Microsoft Teams, and they have an integration that pings every time a new opportunity comes through and actually has the self-reported attribution as a, as a field in that message. So it might be like new person signed up to the B2B incubator. Um, self-reported attribution was, you know, George's post, LinkedIn post. And you go, okay, great, that actually worked. And as more and more come in, uh, not just the marketing team who is on this Slack channel, but sales, customer success, whoever else is on it, start to get a feel for what is working. Of course, doesn't work so much as you scale, uh, but you know, just one idea of how some businesses are implementing that. Yeah, it certainly doesn't work as you scale. And again, that comes back to that point that we've been making earlier that this is very much an 80-20 principle application. We are in the be better stage. So presumably you do have some scale to your business and maybe you're a little past that ping in Slack channel uh, advice. If you're not, make sure to implement that and start to start to collect that level of insight and build your great gut feel around what is working 
Um, but if you are at that be better stage where you've got a lot of fundamentals in place and you're starting to scale, come back to that question of 80-20, is my investment into looking at attribution really worth the money and time that I'm putting in right now? If not, get it to a point where it is worth it and move on. I think in our own experience, we've generally found that rudimentary attribution in something like GA, GA4, and other free tools is sufficient for much of your business's growth until you're a larger medium to enterprise size business. At that point, it's then worth maybe investing in a platform that does attribution in a more scientific way for you. And by then you'll probably have an analytics team that can really take that away and start to build that engine for attribution for you. Uh, often the return is just not there before that point and you're better off focusing on other business needs. If it happens that a particular tool that you have within your business uh, tech stack already has a tool for attribution, then by all means use it, give it a go if it's not too much extra cost for free. But generally you can take whatever comes out the other end with a big grain of salt um, in terms of results and focus on the principles of demand creation and following the qualitative data that you've hopefully set up to track instead. So focus in on the answers around how did you hear about us and go with that gut feel. Great advice, Kev. And exactly to your point, you know, HubSpot, it's always a great place for, you know, any any newer, smaller business can jump in. You can get their free tier uh, as your CRM. It does give you, you know, three or four free reports that you can use. But again, they're only going to show you that quantitative data. And I just gave an example earlier about how that would lead us astray if we weren't looking at the qualitative, if we weren't looking at self-reported attribution. Yep. And remember, listeners, as we said, qualitative data gives you that important context around how to read your quantitative data. So attribution is very much focused on the quantitative and it should be viewed that way. It should be going hand in hand with some qualitative data as well. And on the qualitative data collection side, there are different things you can do to scale that as well, but we'll talk about that in a separate episode. Now, listeners, George did mention HubSpot, and that does bring us on to the next topic, which is common tools for reporting. Again, this is something we'll probably address in more detail in a later episode this season, but to help you start your thinking around what you need to build the reporting that you hopefully are trying to optimize at this stage, if you've reached that point where you need to do some more of that optimization in your reporting to get more out of it, here's the usual progression of reporting maturity that we usually go through. So the first stage is basically looking at the in-platform reports that are available to you and at your disposal. This is a very simple place to start, but keep in mind that they generally focus on attribution uh, for their own channels and specifically trying to overstate the importance of their own channels so that they increase investment from you into their own channels. It's not focused on actual conversion. This is something that Rand talked about in our interview with him. So make sure to take those in-platform reports and insights with a big grain of salt. That's it. Very often, Kevin, as you said, uh, attribution is what they're focused on, not conversion. So many will take credit for the one, uh, the one conversion. They're all trying to say we were the most important platform that helped influence that sale. Of course they would because they want you to invest more money in that platform. So as you said, take it with a big grain of salt. What about the second stage, Kev? Well, the second stage, now that you're a bit more familiar with different channels, maybe you run a few channels, um, we can start to get a little bit more technical. And often where George and I head here is to 
combine Google Sheets or Google Data Studio with a tool like Supermetrics. So Supermetrics effectively just allows you to pull with a very simple UI, clicking select, start to pull some of those data points from a Facebook platform, from the Google Ads platform into Google Sheets or Data Studios so that you can then play with those numbers to help automate some of your reporting. So you don't have to manually pull insights together from different data sources each time you need a report. That's it, Kev. You and I were a couple of freaks in the sheets, weren't we? But <laughs> listeners, you don't really have to be as much anymore. Supermetrics, the integration with Data Studio works pretty well now. And uh, there's a lot less heavy lifting that needs to be done on your side. Yeah, and beyond that, as George mentioned before, a lot of these uh, CRM tools or tools like Segment, uh, Tableau, even Heap, they're more advanced tools, but they often have a free version or a more simplistic version of the tool that you can start to use to automate some of that data analysis and reporting without a huge lift on your end. But keep in mind that these tools will quickly require, or often quickly require a data analyst or someone with a bit of expertise when it comes to data to maintain the data integrity and the quality of the data and the insights that you get as you scale. And if that's the case, please default to their expertise on the choice of platform. Oh, Kev, I'll tell you what the worst place to be is. I think you and I have both been in this circumstance is where businesses are sort of in stage two and you're reporting using, using Google Sheets and Supermetrics and Data Studio and the business is growing and growing. There's more data coming in. You've connected it all up for them and you're starting to run out of like the number of cells that Google Sheets <laughs> can support and things are so slow. You have to keep finding workarounds and at the same time, they're either too cheap or they're still trying to work out reporting um, for Tableau or Segment or something else. And you as the marketer are caught trying to keep up with reporting until they sort out that that tertiary solution. Um, yeah, just the worst place to be in, Kev. But I'm <laughs> Not sure great. Not many great, of our George. listeners can empathize. No, I totally agree with you and uh, hopefully listeners, you're not in that scenario, but uh, might be a good time if you are to bring up the 80-20 principle. Is that effort in sheets and supermetrics worth it or should we start looking at something like um, segment, heat, uh, a combination of those tools? But George, whatever that looks like, Remember, listeners, that um, you should always avoid spending a lot of your time manually downloading data from different places to populate a report if you can. Uh, this often leads to human error and is really not great for scale. And if you're finding yourself doing that a lot, you should really start to look for more automated ways of reporting. That's it, Kev. Human error is everywhere, um, particularly when you lack attention to detail, such as myself. Anyway, Kev, um, key takeaways for today. What were they? Well, listeners, as your reporting practice gets more sophisticated, you'll come across concepts like funnels and attribution and all the different tools that you can use for reporting. We've given you some tips about how to approach these concepts and ideas, namely the stages of awareness for structuring your reporting and metrics to highlight those different stages and looking at top level trends and insights from attribution analysis only. Secondly, remember to take some of this work with a grain of salt and a strong 80-20 mindset. Not all improvements in these areas in reporting are worth pursuing right now or ever. And finally, there's some common reporting tools that are not too hard to implement and to start trying for next to nothing 
but help a lot in automating reporting and obtaining insights. Utilize them best you can. Remember, reporting is not the end goal in itself. Very good, Kevin. Reporting is not the end goal in itself. All right, listeners, you can find links to everything we discussed in the show notes. And hey, Kevin and I are taking a little break from next week onwards over the festive season. Uh, we are going to repost um, some episodes that didn't get the love and attention that we thought that they deserved and things that we think you guys should really listen to. So there will still be episodes re-released Monday, same time. Um, each week until we officially come back. But Kev, we'll be back early next year to continue with the framework. And listeners, we hope over this time, you know, even if you don't want to tune in to the B2B playbook, that's fine. But take some time to relax, have some quality family time and rest ahead of the new year. Uh, if you do have some time and have joined us more recently, we do encourage you to go back and check out the backlog of episodes that we have. As we always say, the podcast is based on an evergreen framework that builds on itself. So do check out the episodes if you haven't already. There's a lot of great tips along the way as well. Listeners, we're so grateful that each week, more and more of you tune in every Monday. If we can ask one thing, that would be to please leave us a short review on whatever platform you listen on or to pass it on to someone that you think would get value from the show. It's an amazing help to us, our future listeners, and we all really, really appreciate it. Thanks, George, for a great year. Thanks, listeners, for tuning in. Take care, have a great festive period and see you all in the new year. Thank you, Kev. Thank you, listeners. Happy Festivus and see you in the new year. A quick note before you go, listeners, you can find more great content and get in touch with us at theb2bplaybook.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter while you're there to get the latest news, tips and resources from our playbook. We'll be back the same day and same time with another episode next week. Thanks for tuning in to the B2B Playbook. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer.